Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental or emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he's gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as he or she personally chooses, while accepting full responsibility for his or her own individual thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and actions. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares. And by listening to this program, you're acknowledging that you, and only you, are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and actions. From UniverseToday.com Did you know that the gorgeous, inspirational picture of the universe that you're using as the wallpaper on your device screen is probably a lie. Astronomers typically use black and white CCD cameras to make their observations of the universe. Then they'll put filters in front of their cameras so as to only let through very specific wavelengths of light. Wait, you say, filters? Yeah, filters that help reveal scientific information. For example, astronomers want to detect the presence of uh, hydrogen, oxygen, and sulfur in a nebula. So what they'll do is they'll use one filter that reveals each of these elements. And then in a program like... uh, Photoshop, they'll assign red to hydrogen, blue to oxygen, green to sulfur, and so forth. And the resulting image can look very beautiful, but the colors have nothing to do with reality. In other words, if you were in outer space looking at that very thing with your own two eyes, that's not at all what you would see. It, it doesn't look like that at all in real life. This made me think of what it's like living with borderline personality disorder or any other emotional disorder. You're walking about in life, looking around, viewing life and the world through a distortion of filters rather than seeing things as they really are. You see, it's all a lie. The perceptions you're living with are a lie. And the people who put those filters over your eyes are your parents. They have presented a totally false interpretation of life to you, and so you're then walking around believing that the way you're perceiving the, the nature of feelings, self, and life represents reality when it really don't. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome to The Last Symptom Podcast. I'm Brian Barnett, the creator and host of The Last Symptom. Thank you for tuning in to this week's show. I'm really happy to have you. Now, let's think about some important things together today, answer some questions, and have some fun together while we're at it. I'm a person who lived with borderline personality disorder for the first 35 years of my life 
unaware that I had it. And then I suffered a crisis which forced me to recognize the existence of the disorder in my life and then do the work to authentically and permanently recover from it. This is something that I achieved over the course of about seven years and now I try to help other people accomplish the same sorts of things for themselves in even less time. Go to thelastsymptom.com that's thelastsymptom.com to take advantage of both my free resources and my very modest paid resources which support my ability to continue doing this work. You can donate to support my ongoing efforts while you're at thelastsymptom.com if you're so inclined. The best intensive course program that I have ever seen is available for those who are interested in authentically recovering from borderline personality disorder or any other emotional disorder for real. And that program that course is called the last symptom fundamentals course I developed it I made it it's a pre-recorded structured video presentation that works entirely with your personal schedule and I created the program with the idea of equipping you with all of the insights and knowledge that you need to rid yourself of borderline personality disorder for real got a couple folks in the course right now so if you were to sign up now, you'd be, for all intents and purposes, going through it with them. And, of course, uh, in the last symptom uh, community, you then have an opportunity to, uh, to share the experience with, with others who are in that course right now. So the way you can investigate that more or sign up for it is by going to thelastsymptom.com, and it's in the paid services tab. I want to tell you about the last symptom on locals, the last symptom community on locals. There are hundreds of members. It's uh, it's a superior replacement to the old Facebook education group, and we'd love to have you over there. The way you can do it is by going to the last symptom dot locals, l o c a l s dot com, or you can download the locals app from the app store and just search for the last symptom once you've got that on your phone. Another thing that uh, made me think about living with complete misconceptions about reality recently was seeing a computer simulation of our solar system to scale. When you think about pulling way back and hope, you know, hovering over our solar system I bet that you imagine being able to see all the planets in their respective places you know as they hover in relation to all the other planets you know sort of like oh look over there's uh, Jupiter and look over there that blue planet there's Earth well no if this is the image that you're imagining in your mind that's not reality Again, you've been sold a total lie. And the way you are walking about, imagine the very nature of our solar system is completely false. That concept 
of the appearance of our solar system does not represent reality at all. The way you've been sold this lie is the way in which our solar system is depicted in models, pictures, books, documentaries, science videos, and so forth. Scientists tell you, look, this is what our solar system looks like. And because society says that not only can they be trusted 150%, but that they must be trusted 150%, you accept this presentation of the universe and you don't question it. The reality is that if you were out in space floating right above our solar system, as close as you possibly can, so that all the planets fit into your frame of sight, you wouldn't see any of the planets. That's right. You would see the light of the sun as a tiny, almost little tiny ball speck. But that's all you would see. You'd just see a bunch of black, empty space with stars way 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 off in the background now why is that it's because all the planets would be so small that you wouldn't even be able to see them they become microscopic dots to the naked eye by the way I got uh, old Norman the Cricket in the studio and uh, he's been very chatty lately and I've just adopted him as the uh, I say unofficial mascot of the last symptom, but he might as well become the official mascot. Because people live with false notions of how things really look or really are out there, what is the effect of this? Is it harmless? Well, because they live with a totally false concept about the true enormity of space, and the true distances between things and the size relationships among these things what else do they walk around misconstruing well how about greatly overestimating mankind's place in the universe or how about greatly overestimating mankind's abilities and knowledge and putting an undeserved amount of confidence in that while greatly underestimating mankind's very real limits, you know, our, our real limits as people. And what's the effect of this? Well, how about people totally discrediting or refusing to even consider the possibility that God might exist? Now, before those of you who are not believers in God, get upset and turn me off let me explain that I'm not this is not an argument for why you should believe in God what I'm saying is that the misunderstanding or the underestimating the vastness of things the size relationships between them and everything the effect is that a person that refuses to even consider the possibility of God you forget whether people believe in God or not. That's beside the point I'm making. The point I'm making is that 
they refuse to even consider it because their entire focus and confidence is confined to a really tiny false representation sphere of understanding you see I'm not saying that you have to believe in God or what you should believe or not believe I'm simply pointing out that these false notions that people are walking around with about the real nature of the world around them the true relationships between things and accurate context living in these very small inaccurate bubbles of perception that all of this absolutely contributes to people arriving at conclusions in all areas of life that they would never otherwise arrive at if they understood the true nature of these of these things more accurately Norm MacDonald the comedian tells a story about how Sarah Silverman another comedian always mocks him as as him believing in an old bearded man in the sky so it's a ridiculous false premise argument to begin with but a ridiculous false premise argument like this probably seems really clever to a person whose entire reality exists within a really tiny bubble where standing on stage making money being on TV having fun and being famous is the entire purpose for living if that's your entire reality think about it you've probably surrounded yourself with other people who see life that same way too and you never extend yourself beyond that thinking and influence that's the entirety of reality for you more or less so of course the old bearded man in the sky mockery seems clever and as if it's a serious and intelligent argument if if your entire reality you know, the most important things in your reality don't extend beyond just being on TV for a few years before you die and everybody forgets who you were but whether you agree with Sarah Silverman or not I really hope you don't view her as a model of intelligence you know speaking of context if you're drawing conclusions on life's big questions based on Sarah Silverman's intelligence you might want to take some time out to put Sarah Silverman into context it reminds me of uh, when comedian Dave Chappelle was talking about the attacks on the World Trade Center on 9-11 and he says MTV interviewed the rapper Ja Rule to find out what this rapper could say about the attacks on 9-11 and Dave Chappelle says who gives a blank what Ja Rule thinks at a time like this man this is ridiculous I don't want to dance I'm scared to death and he says think when bad things happen to me I'll be in the crib like oh my god this is terrible could somebody please please find Ja Rule get a hold of this guy so I can make sense of all this that's context put Sarah Silverman in there with Ja Rule if you'd like to see how our solar system would really look to you out in space 
and get a more accurate understanding about the vastness of the universe and the relationship between things out there as well as distances which also helps put mankind's almost comical power wisdom and knowledge into context by comparison go to youtube and search how large is the universe question mark bigger than you can imagine question mark the channel that this video is on is the channel wisdom for life so again the title of the video is how large is the universe question mark bigger than you can imagine question mark and the channel it's on is wisdom for life it's a really well done little video it will enrich your life and make your understanding of life more accurate all right today's primary topic hope versus expectation this conversation is mostly for people who may not personally have borderline personality disorder or any particular emotional disorder specifically but who care about somebody who does what is the difference between hope and expectation why does it matter how does it apply in your situation well this is a subject that's near and dear to my heart because I talk to a lot of people nowadays who are considered by many who care about them as lost causes the interesting thing about this is that as many of you know at one time in my life I was the lost cause I cannot stress enough how true that is I myself was a complete and total lost cause if there ever was one I had many people who cared deeply for me trying their absolute best to help me as I was going through my borderline personality disorder crisis and as I was nearing hitting rock bottom my ex-wife Diana was the foremost figure in these efforts nobody spent more sleepless nights or invested more attention and energy and worry into this than she did but there were certainly other people trying to help me as well several of them were friends in my approximate same age group and there were several older friends who were also involved in every single aspect of help that these folks extended my way I failed I failed them to be honest most times I actively worked against their help on purpose or completely disregarded their help all while pretending to be taking it seriously and valuing it can you imagine this experience from their side of things how exhausting and disappointing every single attempt to help me must have been 
that go to these great lengths probably thinking that there is no way he can possibly fail at this particular thing because we've set him up so beautifully for success success in this one thing is probably impossible to screw up and yet I would let them down and I would screw it up I was on a completely self-destructive course that I did not understand at the time and that looking back I could not possibly have fully understood at the time in order for that to be possible other things had to happen first and I would need time to put in a whole lot of effort and purposeful work but as for this self-destructive course itself Diana and others were completely powerless to stop it how do you suppose they felt well I can't speak for them except for what they told me and uh, the way they expressed themselves all those years ago but I can imagine that those who loved me the most were very tempted to give up all hope and some of them surely did give up all hope it had to have been extremely frustrating and disappointing for them to say the least now let's skip forward to today I've been living a life completely free of borderline personality disorder for many years now and my work with the last symptom is helping others recover from emotional disorders for real and in even less time than it took me the last symptom is even helping people who do not have specific emotional disorders to snap out of lifetimes of thinking and behaviors that support those with emotional disorders and enable those with emotional disorders helping these sorts of people to look inward and fix their own issues how is it possible that I went from being a complete and total lost cause to being emotionally healthy today I fought everybody tooth and nail I rejected help I made a mockery of the help even as I was experiencing the most intense inner pain and stress and fear imaginable of, in my entire life and even as I knew full well that every decision and action I was making was contributing to this even even though all of this was true I could not stop it was like watching myself drive a car toward a cliff and knowing exactly what the consequences were going to be and not wanting those consequences but being unable to push down on the brake or force my arms to turn the steering wheel to the left or to the right I knew that I was going to lose everything I cared about 
I was scared to death of this happening. And I kept going anyway. By the time it was over, just as I knew would be the eventuality, I had lost all of my friends, my wife, my home. My life was irreparably destroyed so that it was never going to return to the way it had been before the borderline personality disorder crisis. That life was lost for forever. I was never getting it back. So, how did I get from there to here? How did I go from being the person who was one of the worst lost causes imaginable to having authentically recovered from the underlying causes fueling that self-destruction and to now living emotionally healthy and helping others do the same? The short answer is that the only reason I survived that period of time in my life and made it out on the other side healthy is that the people who claimed to really care about me demonstrated that their care was real by holding me to real consequences. If there's one mistake I see repeated over and over and over and over again by people who claim to care about somebody who is going through the experience that I just described of going through myself. It's that people are pathetically weak. And I don't I, I don't mean to sound cruel by saying that. I'm trying to speak truthfully. People are pathetically weak and not willing to hold the person with a disorder to concrete, unbending consequences. If being held to unbending, concrete consequences is truly what is best for a person's long-term emotional, mental, physical, or spiritual health, and yet the people who supposedly care, you know, quote-unquote, care for that person, aren't willing to follow through on what is best for them, can it really be said that they truly care for the suffering individual? No, that can't be said because their own failure to act decisively on what they know is best for that person, their failure to do that is evidence of what? Well, it's not evidence of genuine care for the other person, is it? It can't be. If they know that that's what's best for them, ultimately, and they're not willing to do it, that's not evidence of genuine care for the other person. Primarily, what is it that they care about? Their own personal feelings, their own personal wants. They care more about not following through with something that is difficult and painful for themselves, that is a sacrifice to themselves then they truly care about the other person's long term emotional, physical, mental or spiritual health or well being 
So it's extremely self-serving, short-sighted, selfish, and weak. It's people using people for their own selfish reasons. Using people for their own selfish reasons. With no regard, or little regard I should say, for what is truly best for the other person. And for they themselves too. It, you know, what you want and what is best for you. Those things aren't always in alignment. The person with the disorder is using the other person for unhealthy support. And the enabler is using the other person for his or her own unhealthy wants. Imagine you have a dog that you're crazy about and the two of you have been together for a long, long time and the dog grows long in the tooth and so now he's very old and that poor old good boy develops terminal cancer. That poor old dog is lying around in pain all the time. Can't even go outside to use the bathroom anymore so he just sits there in agony you the owner could at any time take this poor dog to the veterinarian and have him put out of his misery but let's say that you just can't imagine life without this dog he's been a part of your life for so long and you just can't bring yourself to do it you don't want to be without a dog You'd be too sad, you see, without him in your life. So you just keep him at home. You keep force-feeding him. He's moaning and crying out in pain all the time. And you regret that a lot. But you just won't do the right thing. Because doing so is too painful for you. You know? Never mind the pain he's dealing with. It's too painful for you. So you're not willing to do the right thing. And in fact, you even tell yourself that it's love, quote unquote, preventing you from doing what is right. You tell yourself that you, quote unquote, love your dog too much to do what is best for the dog. You see how screwy that is. People who have no clue what real love is using their dumb, unhealthy notions of some false approximation of love to excuse not doing what is the only right thing to do. What would you think about a person in the example I just gave? Would you, would you have a very high opinion of somebody who would continue to let their poor old dog suffer like that for their own selfish and self-absorbed reasons? And then on top of this, they use an entirely false notion of quote-unquote love to excuse it. A notion of love, incidentally, 
that is a total contradiction to anything resembling real love. Does real love behave selfishly like the example I just gave of the dog and the owner? Does real love give priority to one's own feelings over the real well-being of the supposed target of that love? No, real love is not just a feeling. Real love is a quality. As a quality, it always provides the target of love what it needs. Even if this requires great sacrifice to one's own personal wants and feelings, that is love. How many partners do you reckon that I have talked to who claim to care about somebody but look for every excuse possible to remain with that person even knowing that this is the very thing that is going to forever prevent that person from ever taking recover, recovery seriously and from doing it genuinely for themselves more times than I can count it, it's so in the three or four years I've been doing this it's the most common pattern that I see by far this relationship these types of relationships I even have these sorts of folks come into my last symptom group as teams now they think I don't know it and they don't you know they would deny it to themselves they're in denial about it but they come in basically as a team and they communicate secretly back and forth by liking the same things and whatnot following each other's activities you see the enabler is going to follow the the person who might have an opportunity to tap into the type of genuine motivation necessary for authentic recovery but they're not going to allow that are they they're going to follow them right in and um, undermine the entire process likewise the person with the disorder who's supposedly trying to recover what's what's where does his attention go as soon as he knows that this person is invested in him like this and observing him Every, every single thing he does or she does then is suspect. We, we, there's no way to know if they're doing it for themselves or for real. Because they know that the person that they're trying not to lose or would like to win back is watching everything they do. Completely undermines the entire process. If a person truly cares for you they will not behave in any way that obstructs the process of you having no other motivations for recovery except that you genuinely want to do it for yourself. People who have lived their entire lives denying realities about themselves, running from themselves, are never, never going to tap in 
to the sort of motivation that authentic recovery requires and face the unbelievably uncomfortable feelings and realities head on that they have been running from for forever as long as you are there acting as an external superficial motivator distraction and comfort a person approaching recovery with the attitude conscious or not that they may prevent a breakup or please a partner by doing quote unquote recovery work and I put that in quotes because if that's your motivation that's not recovery work it's not that they can be doing all the right things that's still not recovery work if their true motivations are to prevent a breakup or please a partner so they're never going to recover for real it doesn't matter how many hoops they jump through think about your kids when it comes to trying to get them in the habit of brushing their teeth if your kids can just run some water over their toothbrush and this convinces you that they really are brushing their teeth before bed every night this is what they will do because it accomplishes their primary objective and what's that to satisfy you not to have clean teeth but to, they're not old enough yet to even appreciate why that's important so really they're they're only interested in satisfying you and if satisfying you if they can achieve that by just running some water over their toothbrush that requires infinitely less effort and time than brushing their teeth for real night after night for 18 years of their life so people who have lived entire lifetimes with emotional disorders or who suffer a bit of resistance or negative results do not first first become interested in authentic recovery for themselves what do they first become interested in their first interest is re- is in removing that resistance you see not in being healthy but in removing the resistance or the negativity or the resistance that they're uh, coming up against. If they can appease somebody by just running some water over their toothbrush, do you really believe that this isn't what they will do? It's exactly what they will do, and it's exactly what they're doing, as long as you are interrupting any you know getting in the way and interrupting any possibility of them tapping into authentic or genuine motivation do you understand the enormity and difficulty of what authentic recovery requires now maybe you need to ask yourself am i just happy with some kind of fake recovery by this person so they're just going to live their entire life you see um depending on superficial tricks to sometimes every once in a while successfully uh, not lose their temper not uh, search for validation from other people to not go into rage to not abuse drugs and alcohol to not uh, blow through our savings 
that's that's recovery that's just recovery as you know the professional community endorses are you satisfied with that well that's very easy to do there's there's no difficulty or trouble or um, there's nothing complicated about that but that's not what we're talking about here we're talking about authentic recovery where they rid themselves of the disorder entirely and so then all of those symptoms are not ever again an issue so while fake recovery type of recovery where you just learn to cope with the disorder and a person never really learns to do that by the way the idea that you can learn some tricks but not address the underlying problems and live happy that's not a thing that doesn't happen or the notion that you can just learn a few tricks some coping things and then uh, a person's going to successfully all the time be dominant over the symptoms of the disorder he's still living with or she's still living with that's not a thing at best when people learn these coping strategies but continue to live with their emotional disorder they're successful 5% of the time so that just seems like a lot of wasted effort to me it doesn't even seem like it, it, and it, it's, no, it's no effort at all anybody can do that you learn a few tricks learn a few of these coping strategies and then you have to constantly be walking around mindful and even if you're mindful 100% of the time the success rate that these coping strategies have are about 5% of the time is that alright with you? how about authentic recovery? authentic recovery requires immense enormous amounts of attention and energy for a while but then after that none because the disorder is gone so I'd like you to understand the enormity and difficulty that authentic recovery requires it's not just going through a list of steps and why is it that why is it that the observable things that the person you're enabling why is it that the observable things that he or she might be doing are completely irrelevant it's because the most important work and really the only important work of all that true recovery from these things requires cannot be observed externally the most important work happens inside of a person not outside of them it involves work of a nature that you as the enabling codependent partner would never be able to see not ever even with binoculars and microscopes so why people lie to themselves and tell themselves that they they know if a person is really doing the work to recover even though the enabler is doing literally doing 
every single thing that is possible to prevent them from ever having to try for real, it's a real head-scratcher. Write this down, you enablers. The only path to authentic recovery is for a person to have nothing left to lose and nothing external left to gain. Let's say that again. The only path to authentic recovery is for a person to have nothing left to lose and nothing external left to gain. Now how can these conditions possibly come about if the person knows that you're willing to do everything but leave them? Or if you keep telling them that you'll never quote-unquote abandon them which is a totally false unhealthy concept in itself adult free agents can't be abandoned only children live in a state of development where they can be abandoned and the reason why they can be abandoned is because they're dependent on others to get their needs met how how can that apply to an adult free agent? It can't and it doesn't. How can the necessary conditions for the person to authentically recover ever come to exist if everything they do is conditional on you being in their life or not? In other words, you know, here's something to think about. If you end the relationship and they still do the work and they authentically recover from their emotional disorder then what have they lost out on you know they were doing it for the true for the real reason you know that they were doing it for genuine reasons but that's the only way you'll know that they're doing it for genuine reasons you know, I'd, I'll go out on a limb and say it's the only reason. It's the only scenario where they're doing it for the, for the right reasons. Because it's the only scenario where the conditions are met that allows them to not have any thing left to lose and nothing external to gain. When I say nothing, nothing external left to gain I really mean nothing and when I say external what what are some examples of external things you you the person who claims to care about them you are the external thing if they can go through the motions of recovery and prevent you from breaking up with them now notice what I just said. If they can go through the motions of recovery. I didn't say if they can go through recovery. I said if they can go just go through the motions of it. And this is enough to prevent you from break, breaking up with them. Or if they're secure in the knowledge that uh, they will never face any truly undesirable consequences. Or if they know that you never follow through on a single boundary you've ever created for real. Or if they know that they've already done things that 
legitimately are deserving of a breakup or a divorce a dozen times over and have never had you hold them to any real consequences, why on earth would they ever go to the trouble of actually recovering? Which thing takes more effort, appeasing you or actually recovering? Which thing takes more effort? You take your car to the mechanic and he says, you know, um, if we just change this one little thing here that costs $10, your car will run like it was brand new. If he tells you that, are you going to say, well, I appreciate that, but I'd like you to just take, you know, just replace the entire engine. Just replace the entire engine. And the mechanic would say, well, why would you do that? Well, because I always like to go above and beyond, you say. Mechanic's going to think you're a nut. And, you know, the point of that example is that you would never do that. Why would you never do that? Because we as people never do, we never put in more effort than is required to accomplish our real objective. So, whenever you've created a, a situation where the person you supposedly care about merely has to appease you in order for life not to be too disrupted, why do you think that that person is just going to go on and authentically do all the work, all the, the hard and long and uncomfortable work to actually recover when that's not even his objective? You haven't, you haven't allowed for those conditions to even exist. His real objective or her real objective is to appease you. And if that's their real objective, we know. We know because we know people that the person is not going to go and put in years of work and effort that are very uncomfortable and difficult and uh, painful if appeasing you achieves the same thing. Namely, to appease you, to get you off the person's back, to accept that he's really trying or she's really trying. That's what you'll get. Nobody actually goes to the trouble of actually recovering when their true motivation is to appease somebody else or to prevent a divorce or whatever. You know, it's kids running a bit of water over the toothbrush. Don't forget it. So the only reason I am where I am now is because I ultimately found myself in a situation where I had nothing left to lose and nothing external left to gain. The conditions were these. I was now either going to make getting healthy my real priority for myself or otherwise what's, what was the point of even, why would I even bother? You see, do you understand that? I find myself in a situation where now I have nothing left to gain. I'm not, I'm not getting anything external for my efforts. You know, I'm not getting a girlfriend or I'm not getting a new job. 
So there's nothing like that in it for me. And there's nothing left for me to lose. There, I lost my house. I've lost my dog. I've lost my job. I've lost everything. So if I'm going to put in any effort, why would I put... You see, you've, I've, the, the, any reason for any pretense had been stripped away from me. So now, if I'm going to do it, the only reason I would do it is if I'm going to do it for real. Otherwise, why bother? It's not going to get me anything from anybody else. So, I want to ask you to really take a moment to deeply imagine that, that real experience of mine this shift that happened inside of me because only when you understand this we understand the only healthy and effective model that quote unquote helping people for real can be built upon I'm on the phone with my ex-wife Diana she's in Philadelphia and I'm in Arizona all this time I've been scrambling in panic mode jumping through every hoop going through every motion that I can possibly think of to prevent her from divorcing me. Every single thing I've done up until now has been primarily motivated by appeasing her or preventing her from divorcing me. I've even convinced myself that a lot of the trouble I'm going through really is for myself. After all, isn't doing something because I don't want my wife to divorce me an example of doing something for myself Uh uh-huh you see the distorted thinking there if I don't want my wife to divorce me and I'm doing these things so that she doesn't divorce me I'm really doing it for myself right wrong doing something for myself means that my reasons for doing a thing are completely unrelated to anything anybody else might do or might not do. Imagine that I'm a famous artist. Now imagine that I've been in a car accident and I've lost the use of my uh, of the hand that I always use to draw or paint. What sort of motivation is going to get me from that situation to learn to paint as well or even better than I did before but now by holding a paintbrush in my mouth is it the sort of motivation that is not really interested in being able to do it but more interested in getting my nurse to leave me alone or to please my nurse or is it a real craven to be able to paint again for myself because that's what I really want for myself that will get me there back to hope versus expectation I've been teasing you along this whole show I had to set the stage so that any of this will make sense or carry the appropriate weight one facet or aspect of authentic love is hope. Do you remember back in uh, Season 3, Episode 2 of this show, we discussed the five facets of authentic love. In fact, if you're God-fearing, 
you probably know that the Bible says that real love hopes all things. So, hope is a fundamental aspect of what love is. But unhealthy people take the meaning of that expression, hope loves all things, and they pervert it. They distort it. If my ex-wife Diana loved me for real, then she never lost hope that all of her personal sacrifices would give me the best possible opportunity to take recovery seriously, emerge from the craziness of that crisis, and eventually be healthy. She never gave up hope. Even when she had to make painful decisions for herself and made and make the ultimate sacrifice in our relationship, you know, divorcing me, and eventually even cutting off all communication after we were divorced. Even though she had to do all these things, she didn't lose hope. Unhealthy people distort the meaning of hope to excuse tolerating things that cannot healthfully be tolerated. Not losing hope is not an example of a woman just tolerating a man's abuses without any consequences. It's not an example of a man just tolerating a woman's abuses without any consequences. Healthy life is fundamentally rooted in people learning to accept that real consequences are a real part of real life. Let's say that again. Healthy life is fundamentally rooted in people learning to accept that real consequences are a real part of real life. Healthy life and a life free of consequences cannot coexist. All healthy people live knowing that we will face real consequences for every decision and action we make in life. Those consequences may be pleasant or they may be painful, but we understand that they are a necessary part of life. And when healthy people make a serious mistake or even make personal decisions for themselves that are not a mistake, but that may result in unpleasant consequences, healthy people accept responsibility for those consequences gracefully. Notice I didn't say they accept them happily, but that they accept them gracefully. Makes me think of the... uh, Indian driver in Canada I think he was a a truck driver that I told you folks about a couple of years ago something he did entirely by accident resulted in the deaths of a bunch of children on a school bus if I'm not mistaken and what I remember is that he took full responsibility for the accident pled guilty waived his right to a trial and apologized sincerely to the families. This was probably the most painful experience of his life and yet he accepted the very real consequences 
of his tragic mistake gracefully. Not happily, but gracefully. Like a strong, mature, adult human being. Now let me ask you this. Do you suppose my ex-wife Diana ever expected expected that I would now be healthy and helping others and doing so well emotionally? Do you reckon that uh, back then when I was failing at every single attempt from others to help me that she was living with a lot of expectation that oh yeah he's clearly going to come through this thing just fine. No, expectation and hope are not the same thing. Saying a person is holding on to hope is not the same as saying that they're living with an expectation of a desired outcome. The two things are entirely different. If she had had an, a reliable expectation that I was going to kick this thing and, you know, within six months I was going to be really on the road to recovery and everything and I'd be doing all right, she might have made different decisions. So she clearly didn't have the expectation. Nothing that I was doing was a reliable indication at all to provide such an expectation. But she did have the hope that one day uh, I'd be healthy. So... While Diana may not have had the expectation that I would ever eventually be healthy, you know, given the fight that I put up and the, the direction that I was headed in, she did retain the hope that I might eventually be healthy, and she expressed this to me many times. She had the hope that all of her tears and sacrifices and difficult decisions would not be in vain. Why? Because she loved me. She loved me. And love never loses hope. So if she loved me, why did she divorce me? We talked about that too. Because real love always behaves in ways that are unselfish and provide the target of love what is truly needed for their long-term well-being even at great personal sacrifice sometimes. Remember, real love isn't selfish in that it allows a suffering dog to continue suffering for selfish and self-absorbed reasons. My birds are starting to talk. And they shouldn't be. They should be asleep. You guys go sleep. Here's what I always tell partners that I talk to. Don't lose hope. Real love doesn't do that. I was once the lost cause. I was once the lost cause um, to an extent that um, maybe even the people you care about uh, don't <laughs> don't um, match in terms of just how stubborn and difficult I was. So I was one of the worst cases of lost calls that you can imagine, and yet here I am. So this not losing hope, it's not just this kind of blind faith. 
you have good reasons to hope. Real love doesn't lose hope. Your expectations might be that the other person may never do what is necessary to authentically recover. And, you know, your expectations might be that he or she might never take their emotional health seriously or that they'll never put in the effort. I know that that's kind of the situation I'm in with my dad. I don't expect him to ever do what he needs to do. But I have not given up hope because I love my dad. So don't lose your hope that the people you care about might one day surprise you. We never give up hope for people we truly love. But now remember this. Hope does not mean we can fail to hold them to unbendable consequences. We can't say, well, I'm going to let it slide that you're not demonstrating any genuine interest in personal recovery for yourself for the sixth month in a row or for the tenth time in a row because I'm holding on to hope. No, hope is not an excuse to enable others to remain unhealthy. When you fail to hold people to real consequences, you may like to think that you have their best interests in mind, but it's really your own feelings and wants that you have in mind. You don't want to have to do what is in the best interest of that person, even though you know that it is going to provide them with the best possible opportunity to one day escape this emotional disorder and experience real happiness, real inner contentment for the first time in their life. You don't want to have to do what's in the best interest of that person because you don't want to be alone or you don't want to be without them or you don't want to feel guilty and other self-serving things. And to excuse it, identifying this inherently unloving behavior and thinking and decision making on some perverted notion of love that's the opposite of love do you remember it's a total contradiction to what real love is perverting notions of what love is and what motivates it in this way is selfish and ultimately detrimental to yourself and the person you claim to care about remember um the dog illustration what is truly in the best interest of that dog if you truly love that dog are you willing to do what is best for that dog you either are or you're not and if you're not why aren't you well it's not love right the only reason the only thing that it can be is selfishness selfishness and personal interest so don't be that person that's the discussion now I had a bunch of other things but um, as always I end up uh, lately I've been having a lot more material than time so um, I hope uh, those of you uh, are out there in these situations you find that today's discussion useful insightful and I hope you find the courage to do 
what is loving. Never lose hope. Hope and expectation aren't the same things. And hope is not an excuse to not enforce consequences. Good things to think about. Folks, I hope you have a wonderful weekend. It's, it's coming real quick. Always does. I uh, hope you got something nice planned for yourselves this weekend. I hope your weeks are going fine. If they're not, uh, you know, reach out to us there on the Last Symptom community on the Locals platform, and we'll we'll help you through it. Take care. I'll talk to you next week. <laughs>